It's getting nice outside, y'all. So you know what that means. We about to bust it out with these outfits that I've been saving since last year. <laughs> and I'm ready. Uh, I've spent so much money on clothes that will they see the light of day this year? I hope so. And if not, we can always look forward to 2021. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the mornings are getting better. There's, and I like a nice, good sunny morning where I can step outside and I don't have to worry about the wind smacking me in my face or just waking up cold. I can just step outside and just feel at ease, you know, easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl, really. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. I hope we're doing well. Happy March. Happy anniversary of uh, Roro. Sis has been here officially. I don't know the exact date, but Sis has been here for an official 365 days. She is a terrorist. I need her to go. And uh, maybe she is going. I don't know. She might. We don't know. But, uh, I can definitely see the Caucasians stepping out uh, in this weather. Whenever they see like just a sliver of light of sun, I know for sure I'm going to see a tank short and flip-flops. I know for sure. And I'm just ready. I'm ready to even see, shoot, somebody wearing a bathing suit trying to go to the beach. I just know it's going to happen. Even though spring has yet to be sprung. But anyway, let's get into... The ting tings that have happened this week. All right, so Aubrey Graham has dropped an EP, Scary Hours 2. Why is it called Scary Hours 2? I'm not entirely sure. There's nothing scary about it. Um, but okay, keep going. With, I feel like Drake's just going with like these dark, grungy names uh, because he's like, take me seriously, man. And he's still in this uh, wasteman phase, even though he is not Jamaican. Um, listen to the EP, three songs, that's it, that's all he gave you, that's all that, you know, I guess was available, um, and being a Drake fan, I feel like it's very anticlimactic now, uh, he was supposed to drop an album in January, and then something happened where he had to get surgery, and he's in post-recovery, but somehow, someway, he made it to that studio, and he gave you these three songs that I feel like are throwaways, no different than uh, the Dark Lane uh, demo tapes, whatever that album is called, from last year. So uh, the only song that I kind of see it being a thing is uh, the Lemon Pepper Freestyle. Like the name, Don't Like Lemon Pepper Wings. I know. I know. Cancel me. Um... Lemon Pepper Wings, they're okay, but it's not a top-tier thing. I need everybody to stop making it a top-tier thing. It's just, you know, you can only do so much with lemon, and it's not it with meat. You know, it's extenuating, but is it a godly taste? Is it going to make my mouth water and bless my taste buds? No. I listened to all three, and uh, the freestyle was definitely, I feel like, the most drake is thing little baby the track that he had with little baby that's cool and the first track i didn't that was too much for me it threw me off with the intro and the beat and i feel like that's like his inner 18 19 year old self just hopping out uh 
kind of speaking on the fact, I guess he was going through something and the liquor soothed it. And then uh, he was able to clap some cheeks on Valentine's Day. So he just, you know, he had to get it out. Uh, let's see what this album is about whenever he decides to release it. Uh, maybe that will kind of up what he's been doing lately. Because he's been falling into the phase of a feature here, a feature there. And then giving you throwaways to satisfy and then disappearing. But, you know, it is what it is. <clears throat> Lena Waithe has partnered with Def Jam Records. And she's opening up her own record label company. It's Hillman Grad Productions. And Hillman Grad, I believe, if, if it's not already, that's like her own uh, trademark branding LLC type thing. I think it's very cool and it's very interesting. Um, and it's nice to just see, you know, because unless I'm wrong, I don't know many black women, at least now in today's age, that have their own record label company and actually have actual control over their music because the music industry, even though there have been some breakthroughs, um, it's still very male dominated. I know back in the 80s and the 90s, a lot of women uh, were involved with record label companies and scouting and agency and management, but um, because of because of the new rap age and because of misogyny and assault and everything under the sun, um, a lot of black women have disappeared from having that type of control. So it's nice to see at least one person uh, paving their way and making their way into that world. And I'm excited to see who's gonna come underneath her label and I think it'd be very interesting. I don't know if Lena Waithe, I feel like she doesn't know music that well. I feel like she's the one that kind of sits in the studio and she just nods her head and she says that's deep, but I could be wrong. Um, there was a recent Nike scandal for anybody who likes to just have false hope and dreams of getting sneakers on the sneaker app like me. Um, there was a recent scandal in Nike where some white boy in Portland, his mom is a vice president, or excuse me, used to be the former vice president uh, at Nike. I believe she was in charge with marketing, communication, something like that. And essentially, uh, my man's is out here botting, cooking it up, bro. <laughs> like, if you didn't get any shoes in the past six months, I want to say, maybe a year on the sneakers app or on any other app or raffle. He is the reason why. Um, he has took it upon himself to call himself a self-made self-made businessman, but he uses his mom's credit card and her agency with the Nike to get all these sneakers. Um, and people, are, you, you might not think that it's that big of a deal, but I'm talking about this man has essentially, in stock, I believe he has over like $150,000 worth in shoes and in stock, um, all from his mom. Now, he was smart in the beginning. Uh, nobody would ever know, or I guess nobody really cared. And his mom you know, she tried to use plausible deniability and say, I didn't really know what he was up to. And I don't understand how you don't see that statement on your corporate credit card of a good chunk of money being charged to buying sneakers. Uh, and he had like, I mean, he has warehouses full of shoes and out here flexing on the gram, you know, 
trying to be on that self-made billionaire type status. And he could have still been doing it and he still could have got away with it. But then he got dumb and he decided to out it himself because I guess his privilege spoke to him and he thought that he was untouchable until uh, whoever was interviewing him saw that, I don't know if it was an email, something that was sent to him and it was in his mother's name. And he realized that where the conflict of interest lied. And so when this broke, a lot of people, it, it didn't make any sense because half the people were like, hey, yo, he, he really made something of himself. And, and they try to paint his mom into this light of, oh, you know, she's a woman breaking into a male-dominated industry. And really, it's no different than, you know, the situation that happened with Laura McLaughlin when she paid to get her daughter into school. Um, her, your son is the only reason why he's successful is because of you. And you know, you know. You don't want to say that you knew, but you did, because when the news broke out a day later, she stepped down. If you truly didn't believe that you ha didn't have anything to do with this and that your hands were clean, you just went on just as business as usual. So um, I'm pretty sure he'll still have his business. I'm pretty sure that because his mom stepped down, won't stop him. And really, his connections won't go away. But he talked about in his interview just how easy it was to swindle and scandal uh, when you know the right people, when you can talk to the right people, and really for him, the upper hand is because he has agency and because of his mom, that you can really make a living off of sneakers. And it kind of gives the false dream to other people who are really out here becoming resellers and having to hunt down and actually put down a lot of their hard-earned money to sell shoes, which reselling, um, the way that it is now, it's trash. It really is. Everybody's getting into it and kind of scalping people because I want to say because of the pandemic, I really want to say, yeah, it's because, you know, people are just trying to make ends meet, which I still think till this day. But I also believe it's because uh, over the past couple of years of the grind and hustle mentality that everything that you like to do has to be turned into a hobby and you somehow have to make money into it or you're nothing or you're nobody or you're deemed lazy or that you have no work ethic. It really kind of implements a seed into people that you just have to be out here selling and making a job out of everything when you don't. If you just like wearing sneakers, wear the sneakers, man. <laughs> and if you want to sell shoes to make some side money, do that. But like, also don't be out here scalping people for a pair of shoes and try to flip it for like a thousand dollars which he most certainly has and there have been people who I mean obviously there are people out there who bought from him and probably know that his mom is a part of Nike that's half the reason why they bought from him because they know that he's somewhat legit so interesting story though you know he's probably not the only kid up in that company that is doing that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they find that there are more other children that are out here doing it with their parents' credit cards. It's just that he outed himself and he got stupid real quick. Um, fumbled the bag, seriously, because if he would have just kept quiet, he could have just made his millions in peace, but whatever. I watched Coming to America 2, as did everybody. I watched it like two days afterwards. Um, I didn't watch it when it, when it initially released because I just, live tweeting, something about live tweeting, it really gets to me. I feel like it just puts a lot of, I feel like it puts a lot of pressure on me that I just have to be involved and I have to stay involved. 
I don't know. But I watched it with my parents, and um, it was a good gaggle. I'm not going to take that movie seriously. I don't think anybody should take that movie seriously. And I don't think it was meant to be taken as a serious movie uh, because with the graphics and the acting and the wigs (laughs) all together, uh, I know for sure that it was just, it was an idea in the room that said, hey, you know, nostalgia. Hey, let's do this film. But it's like, it's fine. You know, it's like A for effort. And as long as we get 75% of what we need, everything else will follow. I feel like that's the conversation. You cannot tell me that blood, sweat, and tears were put into this film. I will say the only surprising factor, because I didn't know who was cast into it, aside from um, Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy. But uh, seeing Wesley Snipes on screen again, truly, it was a joy. I never would think that he would go back into acting. I just know, like, I just felt like he was, like, done for forever. Amen. And uh, seeing Leslie Jones, I just genuinely like her as a person. I think she's great and amazing, and she is funny to me. But everything else, it was, nah. I think uh, the plot and the premise of the film, it was a little outdone. It was a little outdated. It was a little unexpected it kind of rubbed me the wrong way just a little bit because it was like you wanted to play on misogyny and make it comedy which is you know a same old same old recycled plot but I feel like you could have did something um a little bit better in my opinion but still a cool movie still something to watch when you want to waste time and uh, I know it already got labeled as like the number one most viewed film in the world I believe by uh, Rotimi, is that how you say his name? I don't know. Uh, the guy from Power, he uh, said it like on an IG video and he was in it too. Uh, shout out to Tiana Taylor, body on fire, face just looks magnificent all the time. Her cheekbones are just God worthy and I wish I could have that type of face. Also, I just know for sure she smells of like a nice good incense. Um, and she uses like a magical body butter. I just, I don't know, Tiana Taylor, she, she's something else. And I just, I'm here for it. What else has happened? So regarding the case with Kobe Bryant, um, the judges have ruled that the deputies who shared the uh, initial crash photos, their names are allowed to be released now. So I, I forgot about that. Not really, but like I know when the initial accident happened, um, the people who released those photos were protected and were able not to be doxxed. But it is what it is. I, I don't understand why they were able to be hidden in the first place. But good for them. Good for her. I think that's it. All right. So I'm going to talk lightly about this whole Meghan Markle, Prince Harry, uh, monarchy, the whole royal family situation. Um, I know everybody's tired of hearing it. Just my little two cents about it. I wasn't able to watch the interview. No, I'm not going to download a CBS app to watch a two-hour interview. I was able to get the highlights and the snippets and from what I've read, kind of gather what's going on. 
First things first, um, Pierce Morgan, my man's is trash. Uh, he is definitely that kid that ate glue as a child. I know for sure. Uh, he got fired, let go from whatever network that he worked at. And when Meghan Markle, she talked about her mental health, how she was suicidal, uh, and she was just in a really bad place, no different than how Princess Diana talked about her mental health regarding when she was, you know, in that position at the royal family. Uh, Pierce Morgan decided to come with his little hurt feelings, and a lot of people actually saying that her talking about her traumatic experiences, the fact that, you know, she did, she had to put on a face and kind of, you know, display happiness and bravery and that everything was all good in the hood. And really she was going through, if not one of the most traumatic, toughest uh, places mentally uh, in her life, dealing with depression, anxiety, uh, the fact that she had, I believe she says she had miscarriages, um, the pressure that comes with the fact that she's supposed to be a duchess and be in a place of position of power, but you're not wanted because you're black and that the family essentially wants to extradite you. Um, Pierce Morgan didn't believe that she was actually suicidal. And really this came from the fact that he said that he got curved by Meghan Markle. I think they were on a date, something like that. I feel like it was for drinks. I feel like it was a meeting that she said, yeah, let's have a quick meeting. And he thought that it was a date. And then afterwards he drove her to a party. And afterwards that's where she met Harry. And then I guess after a couple of days, he tried to text her something and uh, she essentially ghosted him. And that's where he got his little hurt feelings from. It, <laughs> listen, and that just speaks on fragility on his part. Um, that's, it speaks on a lot of fragile masculinity. Um, how he felt owed of something because I guess they went out somewhere that you owe me something in return and she doesn't owe you anything. But yeah, back to the interview. Shout out to Oprah with the iconic line, were you silent or were you silenced? Because there's a difference. From the highlights that I saw, really in all in all, it's just the fact that people, at least over in the UK, and I'm not even surprised. I guess people think that anti-blackness and racism still believe, they still believe that it exists here in the US and that's just not true. Anti-blackness exists all over the world. It has been documented. Um, <laughs> like it has, it, it just, it's there. It's always been there. It probably will stay there. You know, people just see the US because US, you know, she is famous for a lot of things. Um, racism being one. Okay. But over there in the UK, it's no different. Um, even during the process of apartheid and how a lot of people from Jamaica, even people from South Africa and all over the world kind of got shipped and moved there or had to run away. And they got brought to the UK and they thought because they were in a different country or in a different area or different region, um, that racism wouldn't be that hard. And they were completely wrong. But I say all that because you focused more on the color of the baby than the actual fact that that's his first son. They didn't want to name him Prince. Um, they tried to even still denounce her as Duchess, you know, because she's a black woman. She doesn't deserve security. She doesn't deserve protection. And 
them leaving is not an over-exaggeration. It doesn't matter how much money or status or clout that you have. You can't hide your blackness. You can't dismiss it. It's not, <laughs> it's not how it works, fam. Um, you can try, but, and even, you know, because that's the whole play on words of the fact that is Megan a real black woman, she's half black, and, and people, uh, you know, even with colorism and how people still don't think that's a real thing. And I've already talked about that so many times. You know, I feel like it's only because that she's biracial, she was given the utmost grace and opportunity, and if not a pass, uh, to be not even welcomed into the family, but to be tolerated to a certain degree. But they left, you know, because it's the fact that before Archie was even born, and I don't know how he looks now, but the fact that you already want to try a paper brown bag test um, and put in, you know, stipulations of, well, if he's too dark, he can't be considered a prince is absolutely ridiculous. But it's not surprising, you know? And her mental health, really, that's the most disheartening part. You know, you being suicidal, your mental health kind of just dwindling down because you don't know what to do anymore. You know, you're pregnant. You're trying to not stray away from his family. You're trying to keep yourself together, keep the image together, trying to somewhat find a silver lining and that maybe they'll be supportive. And uh, it just it didn't work. <laughs> and that really takes a toll. You know, it, it's realistic. It's nothing out of the ordinary. I, that That's all I really have about it. And it's no different than, you know, his mom. Obviously, Megan has it worse because of uh, colorism and her blackness. But Princess Diana, she talked about her mental health and how, you know, she wasn't happy being a princess. Uh, she felt very trapped. She felt very stuck uh, because the monarchy in itself the materialism, uh, the incest that happens within there, the misogyny, um, all of it, it it's, and, and, you know, it's all based on the fact of, you know, privilege and just white people being in positions of power. And they said, they decide, yes, let's just build a royal family, um, that consists of colonization and the destruction of many other people and lands and specifically people of color. So, None of it matters. I mean, the royal family, it did nothing. <laughs> there is no, there is nothing great about it. It's just the fact they were able to maintain and uh, obtain, maintain and build wealth. And still to this day, it runs deep, but that's it. And uh, that's all I got on it. <laughs> you know, shout out to Megan and Harry doing what needs to be done. Um, I think the interview, if anything, it just kind of exposes the fact that, yes, anti-blackness and racism is equally just as bad in the UK as it is here in the US. And uh, I don't know. And colorism is still a real thing. Now, maybe the people will get it. I don't know. But that's all I have for you guys today. Please comment like, and subscribe to the podcasts. Follow me on the IGs, Django underscore J-A-N underscore E. And I will catch you guys in the next one.